welcome to episode 69 of Tunes Mate. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And Ray, believe it or not, one of the icons of rock and roll tragically passed away recently. Yeah, Tina Turner back on May 24th passed away. I I mean, I guess reading about it, she's been had a number of illnesses for years. So, you know, I guess this wasn't completely out of the blue, but it kind of took me by surprise. Hit harder than I thought it was going to hit. Yeah, it's like these icons, these individuals that not only are in your playlist, but you look up to them because of everything they've done, all their adversity. And I know Tina Turner's story is well known. I mean, there's been a, obviously the, the what was that? What's love got to do with it with Angela Bassett back in, what was that, in the 90s? Yeah. And then they made it a, a musical. So there's just been a lot about Tina Turner and after she passed away, there's a lot of some other documentaries that came out and I found out a lot about her that I had no idea, even with all the other, I guess, plays and movies that were out there. Yeah. You know, people, a lot of people know about, you know, her history with Ike Turner and the abuse she took and how she got away from that. And then she, she created her own solo career that really took off in the eighties. And, you know, she became, like you said, kind of an icon in the eighties was really when that took off. But, you know, yeah, you start things people didn't know, like, you know, she actually gained Swiss citizenship about 10 years ago, decided she wasn't going to live in, was going to live in Switzerland. She liked living there, wasn't going to move back to U.S. And, and she knew German, had to know German in order to get that citizenship and, you know, things she just didn't realize. And then she's had a number of health issues over the, over the last six, seven years, actually 10 years even. And yeah, things that, you know, maybe you just didn't, you know, she didn't really make public, right? You know, some, some people are very, some celebrities are very public people. And um, there were a lot of things that, you know, publicly, I mean, you could find out if you knew, but, you know, they weren't like publicized in the way that some other people's stuff is. In the meantime, um, you know, she was still doing stuff and having a, a really successful career. Yeah. I mean, she was inducted into the Rock Hall a couple of years back and a lot of people said, well, she doesn't look that well. And I think that was some indicator of what was to come. But I'm always fascinated about Tina Turner. And I know we love her music. So we're back at it again with some top five lists here. And it's always hard when we put these lists together. <laughs> but I think this is 100% completely in respect to Tina Turner. Yeah. So we're going to do our, like we do for so many artists, we're going to do our top five so each of us came up with our own top five Tina Turner songs, and you know we had a few that didn't quite make it. I know my sort of number six was Goldeneye, that one she did for the James Bond film a number of years ago. What are a few years that didn't quite make it? Well, we talked about it right before we started. It was the duet she did with Brian Adams, It's Only Love, was on there, and that was always just the riff, the way those two voices came together. I always, that song, I thought, think brought a lot of people over to Tina because of how popular Brian Adams was at that time. Yeah, it was a great duet. Um, you know, she had already kind of established herself with uh, her um, What's Love Got to Do With It and stuff like that. But it really kind of, it conveyed an, another sort of facet of her, her talent, right? In, in, in a way that pop audiences maybe didn't realize. Yeah, it kind of had that rock edge, and yep. I think. Yep. You know, once again, at that time, Brian Adams was rock. Now, I don't know where he falls these days, probably in the Huey Lewis camp. But 
at the time it was like, whoa, if she's singing with Ryan Adams, I mean, yep. kind of gave her an edge. So let's get into it. What's your number five? All right. So my number five is from Mad Max 2 Beyond the Thunderdome. And it's We Don't Need Another Hero. And there was just something about this song. It was dark. It had the chant, you know, with all the children at the end. It didn't seem like a regular pop song when I first heard it. It has a just a strong theme to it when it's played. And I still to this day when I hear it, I sing along to it. And once again, my list, Ray, are songs that when I'm DJing, I could see playing. And this was one of those songs where if you put this on, you can see everybody singing along to the song. I'm singing it on my head right now as you're talking. That's how the, the power of this one. It, it really, it has really good hook. That chorus, we don't need another hero, right, is really like memorable. There's something, the the writing of that that hook that makes it stick with you. I can completely see where when you play it, people sing along. It's one of those that, that sticks with you. It's also, it's different, right? You know, you, you know, among all the love songs and everything else in the on pop radio, here's the song, We Don't Need Another Hero. I mean, how many other songs do you know that have a title like that? that have that kind of, um, like you said, there's a, there's a sort of darkness to it. There's a, it's got a, I mean, it's about, we need a hero, but it's also about, we don't, we don't need another hero. We don't need somebody, you know, full of themselves and we need somebody just going to get the stuff done. And, and in some ways it's emblematic of the eighties. Right. And it, like you said, it was, it's from a soundtrack, Mad Max two beyond Thunderdome. And it represents those 80s soundtracks songs and, it's sort of her contribution to that. And it was a, it was a big hit hit number two. Yeah. And it's one of those songs like we did the episode with Kenny Loggins that that song could have made that movie. <laughs> like I saw this, you know, I saw the video on MTV. I heard the song and I said, I've got to go see this. I mean, I'm, I don't even remember seeing the, I think I did see the first Mad Max with Mel Gibson, but this was, one was way different. The first one was Mad Max 1, I guess you would call it, and the second one were completely different films <laughs> from what yep, I remember. Yep. And yep. it just brought me into it. Yep, exactly. Same same here. And and it was in the video because the video kind of gave you a feel for the film. And it uh, so it really did sell the film well. Yep. All right, Ray. Well, I exposed my number five. What's your number five? So my number five is uh, you talked about the um, the film uh, What's Love Got to Do with It in the mid '90s, and uh, Tina Turner had a song from that called I Don't Want to Fight, that sort of represented everything there, and that is my number five. It was her last top ten hit in uh, nineteen back in '93 when that film came out, and I think it's representative of her career, and it was sort of a nice sort of you know career capper there. Not that her career was over it then, but that was when pop music was changing and this was sort of her last hurrah as a as a top 10 pop artist kind of thing yeah and that song was i think my number seven but it does have something very interesting as you mentioned it's you know tied to another movie soundtrack and then there's just something about the way the backing vocals are to this song i just i can hear it very strongly and i just remember 
how often this song was played. And everyone at that point had pretty much forgot about Tina Turner. It's like, she's an 80s artist. <laughs> and this was right around the revival of Duran Duran, if I recall. Yep. With the Come Undone. And so there was, it seemed like this 80s revival. I think Adam Ant had come out at this time with his song Wonderful, if you remember that one. So it seemed like very fitting that this this kind of 90s revival of 80s artists, if that's what people were thinking, was back. But Tina was much more than that. I mean, she, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, it was four decades worth of just dominating the charts. And I, I don't even know how, I can go on and on about this song, Ray, but I'm going to stop. Yeah, you know, I hadn't even realized till you said it, but. I mean, because she had had a few top 40 hits in there, but this was her first top 10 hit in seven years when this came out in 93. She hadn't uh, hit the top 10 since uh, 86. I mean, she had had, you know, a few other songs in there that hit the top 40. Uh, probably the most notable one was the best. Um, and what you what you get is what you see. But, but yeah, it hadn't really dawned on me. You're right. This was sort of a comeback of sorts. And I think I remember that at the time. And like you said, Duran Duran, other artists at the time, there was a little bit of a sort of of 80s comeback that year, that time period. And yeah, she was part of it. And I think that that's part of it, right? That as much as Tina, as you said, she had a, it just sort of a four or five decade, four decade really career, well, five decade career, but four decade, you know, sort of in the spotlight part, uh, you know, in, in some ways she's an 80s artist. That's when her height of her popularity really kind of came and so she's representative of that and this sort of represented that again it was another representation of you know hey the 80s are coming back so of course we got to have tina turner in there right so so what's your number four my number four is just like whenever we do these countdowns you go that's that's got to be my number one song when you start your list and (laughs) it ended up at four which is what's love got to do with it which makes no sense i don't understand how it made it to four it should be at number one but I did go through once again what songs that I played and I have played this occasionally not as much but it is very representative if you think of Tina Turner this should be number one but I still have three songs ahead of this one (laughs) I think about the video I think about the first time I saw it who is this person (laughs) that's walking up and down the street with this chain linked fence and I don't know what's happening, but this is another one of those where just like my last five, you can't get this song out of your head. It just keeps going. And same thing. What other song has a title like that? It's another, you're right. You know, great points about this. It is another one that sticks in your head. I'm singing it in my head right now as I'm talking, as you're talking. It is just like you said, we don't, just like we don't need another hero. Think about the, these are both sort of negative titles, right? You know, we don't need another hero, you know? what's love got to do with it? You know, it, they're both twists on the theme that really represent the theme, but in this sort of, I don't want to call it ironic, but sort of this, you know, anti-theme way. And I hadn't, you know, again, I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. You're, ex- you're exactly right. Uh, what's love got to do with it? And and this was her song that really sort of reintroduced her. It was her, her biggest hit. Uh, it was only number one hit. It was, her first top 10 hit as a solo artist. This is the song that really represents Tina Turner. And of course they picked that as the title for the film in the nineties too. Right. So 
you know, it's it, like you said, it's weird that, you know, other stuff would end up ahead of it yet. We'll, t- we'll talk, we'll get to that stuff and there's reasons why, but this is one that really, really, really represents Tina Turner and her career. Yeah. And if I recall on a former episode, you talked about that you had thought that this song could be representative of the eighties. Yeah. So I, uh, my, my friend, Mike, he, a number of years ago, he told me, I mean, this is back more than a decade ago. He, he suggested to me that uh, Simple Minds, Don't You Forget About Me is the most emblematic 80s song. It's the, it's the quintessential 80s song. And I agreed with him. I was like, oh yeah, totally, totally. And I still think there's an argument there. And I think there's an argument for a number of songs. And, and I mean, you know, there's something about Simple Minds. Again, it's a soundtrack song. It's, it's got that 80s feel to it. It, you know, there's so many elements to it that, that make it fit the 80s. But as I thought about it, I was like, you know, there's a really good argument. And again, I think there's an argument for a number of songs here, but I think there's a really good argument that What's Love Got to Do With It is the quintessential 80s song. It's got the keyboard. Mm-hmm. It's got, uh, it's one of these songs about art where artists are coming back. I mean, you look at any number of artists, you can look at Heart, you can look at Starship, you can look at, at you know, numerous artists who kind of remade themselves in the mid 80s from this sort of edgier sound in the seventies or different sound in the sort of seventies sound and remade themselves into an eighties sound and had a string of pop hits because of it. And again, heart fits right in that starship fits right in, you know, from Jefferson airplane, Jefferson starship and Tina Turner fits right there. She kind of remade herself into this pop singer had a string of hits and this is the big one. And this was the first one. And it's got the sound, like you said, that the sound is notable. It's memorable. It's, it feels like an 80s song. It's got the, it, the even like you said, the, the sort of theme of it and the title of it being a little different. Uh, it fits with 80s themes. And so there's a really good argument, I think, here that this is the quintessential 80s song. Yeah, I'll have to add to that. I, I totally agree with you. Wow. All right, Ray. So what's your number four? So my number uh, four is her next hit right after that. Uh, so that was her first, you know, big hit as a solo career, solo artist. Her next one was Better Be Good to Me. And uh, I mean, this one actually, you know, it won a, well, they both won Grammys, but this won a Grammy uh, back in 80, 84, 85. And it was a, a really strong follow-up to, to What's Love Got to Do With It. And again, it's another one, just like these other ones we've been talking about. It, it sticks in your head. I can hear myself, you know, you know, singing that chorus to that. Or, or that that line to it really it's that it's not even the, the chorus well it is kind of the chorus i'm now I'm, I'm singing the chorus but it's that one line you better be good to me and it and again it it's 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 got this theme it's it's memorable the title is a little different in a way um it it represents the strength i remember gosh i remember listening to rick d's years ago and probably 87 or 88. And, and it was like this survey about, you know, would you rather date Whitney Houston or, or Tina Turner? And, you know, like one comment was like, I'd rather date Tina Turner cause she kicked my ass, you know, like, like, you know, there was a toughness to Tina Turner. There was a real toughness to her identity that again, really sort of fit in with the eighties. And this song really kind of represents like, no, you better be good to me. <laughs> like, I'm going to kick your butt if you're not. Yeah, with her prior history, it completely makes sense. And yeah, great song. I remember when we had Holly Knight on, she's 
50 episodes ago or so she had talked about writing this song and how it just fit with tina and it's one of those titles again you know i i know that holly knight had said she keeps a little notebook with her and writes down song titles and then the music comes to her so i can see this sitting in her song title maybe she heard somebody in a coffee shop say it somebody else she wrote it down it's like oh maybe i could write a song to that and i think tina singing it and there's that guitar riff that comes in Mm -hmm. and it's it's very like faint but it's in there and just everything about the song and it's it's one once again that you think about it you're getting married you hear the song and and it it also sounds like something i can hear a father the bride telling (laughs) his new son-in-law or something yeah or even the bride. Yeah, no, you're you're right, and it's interesting. I, I'm glad you brought up that that point about Holly Knight. That you know, you think about these songs because that's that's another sort of aspect of Tina Turner. The one the one that that comes to mind along these lines, where songs were written for her, or written with her in mind, or written in a way that that fit with her well, and and this one you know fit really well with that. I think about um, the song, the other song that that sort of fits that she did not do was White Snakes. Is this love, right? That you know, so oh, yeah. White Snake, you know, had their big their big uh, moment in '87 there with Here I Go Again, and their their other big hit is This Love. Originally, that was written for Tina Turner, and she passed on it. And then uh, David Coverdale did a ver- you know, did like a demo version of it, and or or maybe no, I think no, I think she didn't even pass. I think he did a demo of it and they were going to offer it to Tina Turner and the producer and it was David Geffen or whoever said, uh, no, he heard Coverdale's demo and was like, you need to just do this. And of course, you know, it was a huge hit for Whitesnake, but can you imagine Tina Turner doing is this love? And I can, and it sounds different, but it still sounds good. Yeah. It would have been more, I mean, even though that Whitesnake song got plenty of play all over the place, if she would have done the version, I think it would have got a more adult contemporary play. And I bet you it probably could have even been a bigger song on adult contemporary radio at the time. That's a great point. You're right. I mean, because that, yeah, that was a big hit. I mean, it hit number two for Whitesnake and only got only didn't hit number one because George Michael's Faith was number one. And that was huge. Right. You know, there, you weren't going to top that. Uh, but you're, I think you're right. It would have been an even bigger adult contemporary hit. And that's, again, another part of Tina Turner. Right. Is that you know, you think about, I don't want to fight and, uh, you know, adult contemporary in the nineties. And some of these songs really had crossover for light rock and adult contemporary radio in the eighties and nineties as well. That's a great point. Yeah. You worked it. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's your number three? Better be good to me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I don't know what else to say about better be good to me, but the fact that she just had a huge hit with what's love got to do with it. And then she comes out with this song and it was once again, it, it was nonstop played on the radio. It still gets played today. It's so characteristic of her. Yeah, that's it. Like you said, characteristic represents her, uh, her, you know, a great follow-up to, to what's love got to do with it. So, all right, well, what do you have at three? So I got my number three was your number five. Uh, we don't need another hero again, all, for all the reasons you said and more, you know, great song. It's kind of amazing how we're 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 syncing up here a little bit. Uh, it's because these songs are so good and they're so memorable and they they represent so much. Good choice. So what about number two? 
All right, number two, so many wedding receptions. I've been asked, please play this song for the intro. So there's always an intro when the couple is being introduced into the room. Somebody asks, hey, they, they need some intro music while they're walking from the main door to the head table. And this is the best. And you hear this at sporting events. You've heard this at anything where somebody is <laughs> being congratulated yep. or something is happening. And this is another Holly Knight song. And it was originally, she talked about it on the podcast. Go back. I think it's episode 16. She talks about how she got involved writing this for Tina. And what's fascinating is that she had recorded this for her own group. And then I believe, I can't remember the other artists that had recorded it. And I know there was a prior recording. And then Holly was saying that she had to rework it. So if you listen to the song, it's pretty fascinating. It does a verse, then you don't hit the refrain yet. And then they do another chorus before they hit it. So it's like, it's interesting. It builds to getting to the best. And, and there's, and Tina had said to Holly Knight, hey, I want to build to that point. So they, they had to rework it a little bit for Tina. And I think it's because Tina had worked directly with Holly. It's the reason why it's such a huge hit. And this, once again, I was so surprised. Why is this not number one for me? I don't understand why this is not number one. But this song, I don't know what it is about it. Everybody wants to hear this song. Yeah, and it's actually fascinating. And you're right. Um, it was it was originally uh, recorded by Bonnie Tyler, which you know is fascinating too. Given you know, holding out for a hero and all the other sort of Bonnie Tyler songs, it fits right in with that. It was originally offered to Paul Young, uh, not uh, the the not the Mike and the Mechanics one, the the, the one with uh, Every Time You Go Away, and and then. Bonnie Tyler recorded it and Desmond Child even helped produce that that version of it. But then, yeah, Tina Turner did this version of it. And you're right. I mean, the, the sort of buildup of it. And then you think you're going into the chorus and it doesn't. And then it does. And it's actually interesting, this song. It only hit number 15 the first time out. I remember this in 1990. I, I you know, I was right in the heart of following pop music. And I remember this this song when it was out and it hit 15. And, it you know, it was a it was a. It was a hit, but again, it was not a top 10 hit. It wasn't huge, but it was one that had staying power. And we've talked about that idea before that, you know, you look back and there are songs that, you know, maybe didn't do as high on the chart as you think it did. And how, you know, the chart is kind of a reflection of uh, like the Hot 100 chart is kind of a reflection of the time and it can kind of remind us of things, but it's also a reflection of that particular moment. And there are things that, that endure past that. There are songs that, that do well in a short term and then fade away. And there are songs that, you know, do moderate in the short term, but then have staying power. And this is one that fits that latter part. It, it had some moderate success. It hit number 15, certainly a top 20 hit, but not a top 10 hit. And, but it had staying power. And as you said, it gets used at retirement parties and acceptances and award ceremonies and everything else. You know, this is a way of, representing somebody we appreciate somebody and we love them and everything else you're simply the best and so there it is i remember asking holly on the podcast if she was approached by weird al to to do any of her you know <laughs> parody of her songs and he's like, she's like no he's never approached me but i'm surprised he didn't do you're simply a pest <sighs> <laughs> 
I kept thinking like, I was like, wow, that actually would be pretty funny. That would be really good. I mean, that fits right with him. Right. And, and it, it fits the line. You're simply a pest. I mean, that would, that would be awesome. I would love to hear that. All right, Ray. Well, what's your number two? So my number two, we covered it already. What's love got to do with it? Again, iconic song. I think as you, you brought up, I've made the case that it, it has an, there's an argument. It's the quintessential 80s song. It represents the 80s. It represents Tur- Tina Turner. It represents Tina Turner in the 80s. It's just uh, fits with so much of what we're talking about with her identity, with uh, her, her comeback in the 80s, and just so important. And so it ends up amazingly, kind of like you said, how does this not end up at number one? It ends up at number two with me. And so real quick, I'll, I'll just kind of throw in. And it's at number two because the song we just talked about, The Best, is number one for me. And it was, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of hard in some ways to, to distinguish these two. They really could be one and one A. And I think the staying power, The Best, ends up putting it at number one for me. And What's Love Got to Do With It at number two. But boy that was a hard decision. And it, and again, it's representative of, you know, the same set of songs that just keep coming back to both of us. Yeah. I was once again going to say, well, wait a minute. That's, <laughs> how did that end up at number two? But now it makes sense, but I know what your number one is. Yeah. So, so what's your number one? All right, this was surprising to me, but I kept thinking about how many wedding receptions or events I've, I've DJed and this song is played and not the original. So this is Proud Mary, the Ike and Tina Turner version. And if you remember the song, it kind of starts off with this very slow version of the song. And then it kicks into this, you know, blasting horns and, you know, Tina dancing around. And if you think of the original by CCR, there's no comparison. I know they wrote the song. I know it's the original, but this is one of those once again where I believe the cover could be stronger than the original. And it's because it gets people dancing. You put this on, you know, grandma out of her wheelchair comes out to the dance floor dancing around to this. So this is one of these just iconic versions of a song. And I don't know what it is, but there's just something about this version where people start doing the hand motions and jumping around on the dance floor and they're singing along to it. And they know CCR, some of the crowd knows that that's the original, but they come out and they dance to it. Yeah, this is a great choice for number one. Uh, it was kind of, it probably was in my my next five, right? My six through 10. I, I didn't really kind of spell those out, but it, it really kind of probably would have ended up there. And as you said, it's, you know, there, it's the, there's the original by Creedence Clearwater Revival, a John Fogarty pen song that hit number two for them. And it really wasn't, it was not that much later, like two years later that Ike and Tina Turner did this, did this version that hit the top 10 for them and was their only top 10 hit. And as you said, it, it became like the, the de- I don't want to call it the definitive version because I think in some ways the CCR version is, has its own merits there, but to, to many people, it became the version that they loved and the reason that they love the song. And as you said, it's, it's people get out there and dance to it. People get out there and listen to it. They get out and sing along when they're hearing this, they recognize the Ike and Tina Turner version of it. And, uh, you know, it was awarded for, I mean, it, they, they won a Grammy award for it. It's really sort of iconic Tina Turner and, and, and it's, it's representative of Tina Turner with Ike and 
and before she became the solo artist in the 80s as well. Yeah, I always felt bad playing this song because I'd fast forward past the slow part and always start at the fast part. But that's what gets people going. And it is interesting how you look at you know both of the lists we have and you know these songs were primarily written directly for Tina and we talked about her power but even Ike knew you know there's just a it's going to be a different version <laughs> with Tina singing it and that's this is just a prime example of thinking about how her prowess as an artist can be applied to these songs yep great point just uh and and again that in another way that's how it's emblematic of uh of tina turner and her her vocal ability her musical talent and her identity and and just that power that was in in this version of the song and how well it represents that yeah and there were some other you know remakes she tried you know they they were on my list but there's just something about this one yeah, no, and she did. I mean, you know, probably the other uh, remake that's known from later in her career was uh, her remake of Missing You from John Waite that was a all contemporary hit and I think might have just squeaked onto the Hot 100 there as well a little bit. But this is the one that, that really represents it. Well, it was great count. It was great counting down Tina's songs, paying homage to her, and she definitely as many say, queen of rock and roll. And sure, we know Dolly Parton's putting out a rock album now. <laughs> Maybe she'll try to take the, the throne away from Tina. But I think with her career and everything that she's done, that this is just a great fitting to review all of her music. And we hope you enjoyed going through all these songs. Don't forget to check out our blog and subscribe to our podcast and Ray, we've had plenty plenty of music that's just been coming out i mean i can't even keep up once again with with all the posts on the blog i did see that we've been reflecting a lot on i know we're getting as you said we're getting close to that 25 year look back we're we're heading into the 2000s pretty soon so it, it's amazing just how we just keep looking back yeah really um yet, yet we're almost we're a year and a half away from no more 25 years ago in the 90s and that's kind of freaky to think about that we're you know that was 25 years ago we're going to be at y2k and just a year and a half and meanwhile you know we keep doing the daily 80s flashback uh, we just hit nine years of daily 80s flashback just a few days ago and so we're just we're still putting it out there for you. The birthday of the week and the Saturday morning car, uh, cartoons and uh, title titles and uh, classic artists and tried a new feature in May. Something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue. Got a little busy, didn't get it in June, but we're going to bring that back July first and try to do that the first of the month. Uh, just you know something new to try. But yeah, we're, we'll keep putting it out there. Keep checking it out. We're doing tunes, mate. You know it's. Again, it's about the love of music. It's about just love and tunes. And that's what we're out here doing. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for everyone that's tuning in and helping support TunesMate. So for everyone here at TunesMate, I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And we will see you next time.